Welcome to Friars in the Front Podcast. I'm Donovan, and coming to me, right next to me, is Roy. Hello, everybody. Who are you? Sometimes who, who? I wonder who I am. God, you know, and we, we lots of who's, lots of questions of who are they. Yes. Who are the Padres? Who's the next manager? Um, who is Mackenzie Gore? We'll get into that in a little bit, but um, this is our first non-season podcast yeah it's technically the off season it's technically for, for minor league baseball absolutely but I, the, the season never really ends because now we've got fall league and we've got uh the international leagues are starting up yeah, the caribbean, and all that caribbean league the one league that did come out the abl this week just uh, i think it was today or even yesterday announced that they weren't going to have a season like they are i love that about the australian baseball league and, I, and i'm pretty sure they're incredibly low on all the the covid stuff and they're like don't care. Well, yeah, the whole country has taken the thing very, very seriously. Yeah, uh, They've only been locked down. I saw a response. <laughs> Ted Cruz, of all people, said something about Texas. like about Texas has always been the Australian of America. Yeah, and so the, the minister of the Northwest Territory or whatever that was pretty gave excellent. this really good response <laughs> and said you know, about how few cases they've had and, and all this stuff, but it's because of all the precautions that they're taking. Yeah. And so I'm, I respect their decision not to, to have a season. Yeah. Because of the logistics involved and all this stuff, yeah. and I'm sure there are different rules in different communities. Yeah. So if it's just for public safety that they don't have the league at all, then so be it. Absolutely, and they they'll come back stronger next year in 2022 and 2023. Mm-hmm. I, I'm bummed because it's that that layover period between like late November through January into February where I get to watch some baseball. Right. <laughs> you know, I get to watch baseball. The occasional, you know, the occasional Padre minor leaguer. Right. Uh, but certainly... Yeah, in the past, we had Buddy Reed down there. God, had, yeah. I mean, Jared Dale has been playing there the last few years because he's an Australian native. And we're really good to see where he is this year in that league because he had a great season this year, a lot. He, he had a big jump forward. Oh, yeah. His first year of pro ball stateside. Yeah. And uh, the, the first couple of seasons, that we, the Padres signed him when he was 17, and... You know, he's been playing there since 17 and, you know, wasn't that great. Right, right. But he's he's a kid. I mean, yeah. he was 16, right. 17, 18 years old playing with guys that are 25, 19, 20, 30 years. I mean, you get, you get full-grown, like, former major leaguers still playing in that like league. Like grown-ups, right? Yeah. And so the, the other person I would have been curious to see would be Riley Yeatman. Yeah. Who the Padres signed this last year as, a, as an international signee. He is in Peoria right now going through fall instructs, having the – like it's like the first time he's been away from home. Right. Watching right. his thing on Instagram as he's packing everything up. He was so excited to come and then he had to quarantine for a couple of days. And now it's his visa guy, his visa's all settled. Yeah. So it's it's neat seeing that that adventure. Yeah. So I was looking forward to seeing him in Australia, but yeah. maybe he'll find somewhere else to play. Maybe we'll hear about him from Instructs. Maybe there'll be a dumb Welkie. Oh, I hope we haven't heard anything about that. Nothing. I'm 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 not expecting anything. 
In fact, now that I see what's going on at the ballpark, I'm uh, pretty sure that that's not happening. Oh, that's right. Who is the ballpark? Who is Petco Park Who is now? Petco Park? Is it a football stadium? Is it a baseball stadium? And they're tearing it. Oh, I just, oh my, it's a mess. I think it's a mess. Like, seeing all that constru- destruction, and I know they're going to fix it, and it'll all be better when, yeah. when the season starts, but uh-huh. it's still like... Okay, so somebody you know, somebody posted a series of quotes. I don't know where the article was from, but it was a like Eric Gruppner explaining what's going on. So apparently, that whole section up the first base side that they're that they're tearing out is yeah. going to be like semi removable. Not like you can remove it one day then and put it in the next. But when they're going to have these events in the off season, now with football, they're trying to lay it out so they have a full you know hundred yard football with the end right, zones right, right. and the sidelines and all that. So they've got all the temporary bleachers they're going to bring in down right field. But on the first base side, they had to create some room. So they've cleaned out a couple of sections. They say that it's not going to affect anybody. But I did see one person. So Philip, uh, I think he's Padres PDP or something like that on okay. Twitter. He has a, set, a seat in section 115 on the first row. And he had to get moved because somebody in a in a different section lost their seat. And they got relocated to his seat and he got bumped Right, a section down. It's all about seniority when it comes to that stuff. Because seniority, seniority. Works. yeah, yeah. So it's there are some small little collateral effects. What I'm curious about, being that we sit by the bullpen, they are removing the stairs and the bullpen door because they need to reconfigure that wall right. in left field. Right. It's they're going to put the wall back where it is. It's not going to change the geometry of the ballpark. But I'm curious if they're going to put the stairs back where they are because we like watching the guys go up and down the stairs, right. yelling, you know, screaming for them. Right. They always give the hay up. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. just a little interaction, you know. Yeah. When and, it, and our seats, our Monday night seats, are right behind the dugout, so we're not affected. But still, it's going to be weird because if you if you ever been to uh, to Qualcomm Stadium, you see it. They have these big chunks. Are they used to have these big chunks of removable removable seats? Right. And you would see it in the back of of Qualcomm. And then when the baseball season was over and the football season, they wheel those things in, and mm-hmm. it's just like if that's going to be interchangeable like that. I, I that. Just, I'm not a big fan. Well, it's a revenue thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's supposed to make revenue for the ballpark. And my understanding is in the offseason, they split the revenue for those events between the city and the and the team. Okay. So, you know, if it's a moneymaker like that. And, and the other stuff, people talk about the field. Well, they're going to destroy the field. Well, they change the, the field gets changed every year. It does. The mounds get destroyed. It gets set up. It gets t- taken down. They rebuilt. have Monster Jam every year. They have yeah. motocross and all this stuff. In the offseason, the field is whatever. Give right. them a month in March and they'll have the thing looking amazing. Yeah. And the new sod, they take out the sod. They put in new sod every year, I believe. I don't know how they do that. My, uh, so San Diego high school used to be my rec league home field. And, uh, they would use some of that grass to help, uh, with the infield there. Like the old, yeah. Like the turf they would rip out. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had the opportunity to play golf at Pebble Beach one time, and the thought passed my mind that I should bring a Ziploc bag and take a divot, a little tough, and try to plant that in my in my lawn. <laughs> I never did that. You could get sued because that's like proprietary information having that grass. Is there is there grass seed uh, patented? Mon- like Monsanto or Monsanto? <laughs> oh God, we don't want. To- okay, we're getting way off the rails. Way off but- the rails. Hey, but while well, let's get back into it. Let's finish up. Let's put a cap on the minor league season. Okay. So I so Daniel Camarena was selected as a AAA All-Star team. That's the only All-Star out of the San Diego Padres AAA affiliate. Uh-huh. Daniel Camarena. Yeah, he had a really good year. He yeah, did. He, he deserved it. It's but, a little disappointing because you know, we're so used to having this this farm system with all these great players and right. all this. And this year, it... I, everybody did a great, good job, but I feel like it kind of fell flat as far as the national coverage that 
the Padres organization got. It did. We'll say it again. We, they traded away a lot of that talent. They did. And a lot of that talent should have made up to AAA this year. But, I mean, Luis Camposano, come on. He had a beast of a year. He did. He did. But a lot of guys had a beast of a year in AAA. Yeah. It's yeah. hard to point at any one guy. And plus, he didn't play the last month. And so, I don't know how available he was. Right. It's not an all-star game that they play. It's, right, right. it's really just an just honorary thing but still yeah so yay for daniel camarena yeah no one in the double a so no one uh in they san even, antonio did they even name it i believe they did okay they did, no one was on it all right um it, it's funny i don't have it in front of me and i wanted to think i we, we were supposed to do this podcast a couple weeks back but i had to fly out to connecticut and then getting together since you've got a new job hey you're employed now you can actually pay your bills how about that um that they have like dude you can see how many of these um you know how many organizations have guys in the system. Like in low A, you saw a ton of the guys from San Jose from the Giants organization. Um, you saw a ton of guys from the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks organization. And then you got Robert Hassel III. And you got Bobby Barrels. And that was it. Mm-hmm. So it just, it, it, it just with two guys in the All-Star, and you know, the All-Stars, it's, All-Star low A is not that big of a deal. But I would just, like you said, I wanted to see more players get mentioned. That's fair. Well, it's a it's a lull. It's a lull between yeah. between waves of talent, right. of of hot talent magma in between the swells. <laughs> in between the swells. So then Jeff Sanders, uh, Padres out tweeted, uh, Padres outfielder Daniel Montesino was a DSL hitter of the month in September. Yeah. All right. Well, good for him. There it is. There are the minor league um, awards. Yeah, and there's no coverage of the DSL. There's no footage. There's no scouting. All we get is a stat line to read. And even then, the stat line is is questionable because they're not necessarily counting pitches correctly they're not so you're like you'll see that somebody had nine strikeouts and then you look at the pitch log and they threw 27 pitches it's like no 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 that's not possible (laughs) right it's like instructs it's kind of like instructs it really is so i i was reading through a um a chat with somebody it was a kyle glazer chat and people kept asking questions about about the arizona fall league and what do you think about you know this person's performance and that person he's he says more than anywhere else you do not stat the scout you're not scout the stat line yeah that applies for the dsl the eight and really the the lower the level the less you can read into it yeah because the the umpiring is is not as reliable the scorekeeping isn't as reliable maybe a hit is counted as an error or vice versa right the fielding isn't the same caliber so maybe somebody's racking up a ton of hits but it's because they're playing a single a offense or single a defense that that they're still figuring it out. You right. Know? So right, 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 a lot right. of those right. batted balls would turn into outs and all that. Um, so anyway, don't scout, don't scout the stat. Line. And we're not going to scout the stat line when we talk about Mackenzie Gore here in a few minutes. Okay. But let's move on. And the biggest news that we really should have just started out with this was the, the major league baseball is going to pay for housing for most minor leaguers next year. Now that's on Hallelujah. Their, hallelujah. Thank God. It's one step. The job isn't done. The work isn't done. That's just a small step into what needs to change in the minor leagues. It's a huge step. And and it's so long overdue. It, it's almost like, oh, throw us a bone. Thank you for throwing us a bone. Right. You know, when I think a lot of people are going like, well, there you go. Now it's fixed. Well, now, Major they, League Baseball is going to like, okay, fine. There it is. Are they doing it because it's the right thing to do? 
No, they're doing it because this issue got a lot of media coverage, and now there's this groundswell of support from organizations like Adopt a Minor Leaguer and and Advocates for Minor League Baseball. More more than baseball. Um, And then all the articles that we've seen from Britt Garoli and June Lee and all these, you know, going back to what Emily Walden and, you know, Sarah did a couple years ago. Absolutely. So the, the statement was vague. It said something about certain minor league players, and there were no no definites given in there. Right. Is it going to be a stipend? Are they going to arrange for furnished apartments? Is it is it going to be up to the individual team to figure everything out? Right. Is there going to be some like level of standard that baseball is going to mandate? None of that was answered. All we know is that they are dedicated to changing something about the housing situation. So you're saying that we can be cautiously optimistic that's where i am cautiously optimistic because you're right it it, in different parts of the country like just north of us and like elsewhere it's expensive it's it's fairly expensive but in like lexington kentucky it's not but what about if you're playing for the brooklyn cyclones right or the san antonio or the san jose giants yeah absolutely astronomically expensive yeah so it has to be um you know the major league baseball has got to have a standard like here's the standard this is what everyone's going to do not Pick and choose what you can do. Oh, it's stipend over here, stepping over there. It's you either pay for it or you don't. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, re- you know, and, and uh, we're going to get here into the article in a minute. Uh, it costs under a million dollars for a major league team to house all four, all four affiliates. So every me, single player. Every single player. So let me get into that right now. So amid mounting pressure from players and advocacy groups, Major League Baseball will require teams to provide housing for minor league players starting in 2022, sources told ESPN. Now, in the Jeff Passan, I read this article a few times because he doesn't say certain minor league players. He, the article here says minor league players. The statement from Major League Baseball says certain minor league players. Yeah, that's what I I would right. like to... I'm, I'm sure we're going to get answers as right. time comes. And we will. But when I see language like that, I get suspicious. Right. Like, how... how Who is certain? Is it the players yeah. that are not at the complex? Is it players that are on the 40-man roster? I right. mean, you can, you can make that circle as small as you want to make it. Right. Depending on your draft status. If you were a first-round guy and you made this much money, then we're not going to pay for your housing. Right. Which is... Anyway. It seems kind of unfair. It's you got to do something for everybody. It does. It has to be across the yeah, board. Like if you're going to bring donuts to class, you need to bring enough donuts for everybody. Yeah, and they all got to be glazed, jelly filled. What if, what <laughs> if I like maple bars? <laughs> well, Major League MLB has yet to outline its plan formally. Six team officials told ESPN they are starting to prepare to help house players across each of their four minor league affiliates. In mid-September, according to sources, owners from the league's 30 teams agreed unanimously to plan. To a plan that would provide housing for minor league players, whether they would offer stipends that fully cover housing or provide the lodging itself has yet to be decided, sources said. An MLB spokesman said the league is finalizing the details of the plan. Quote, this is a historic victory for minor league baseball players. Henry Marino, the executive director of activists for minor leaguers and a former minor league player, told ESPN, we are starting uh when we started talking to players this season about the difficulties they faced, finding and paying for in-season housing was at the top of almost every player's list. As a result, addressing that issue became our top priority. So that part right there about finding and paying for in-season housing. So it's it's not simply the cost of what it, you to rent a, right. a place or or to pay for a hotel room or whatever. It's that it it's a transient position. It's a transient occupation. You're yeah. only going to be working for a few months. 
So most places, if you're trying to find an apartment, they want a six-month lease or something like that. Even yep. if you find a three-month lease, there's no guarantee that you're going to stay at that level all summer. Right. If you get hurt, they may send you back to the complex. They may send you to another team, whatever. And there's you get no notice. Just you get called into the manager's office and here's your, here's here's your flight ticket. Right. And then you get there and you have two days to figure it out. Well, what about the place that you have a lease for? So then you've got guys that they try to sublet their place. Right. Like, okay, the guy that's coming to take my place, maybe he can move into that apartment. Right, right, right. Well, what right. if that guy fails to to pay, pay rent? The bills. Right. And then now player A's credit is taking a hit. And then we haven't even talked about that. Yeah. But that's very true. Yeah, and, and it's it's a constant thing. So how it's and then not on top of that, it's so you got kids that are 19, 20, 22 years old, and they're supposed to figure out how to find housing when they've I mean I, I don't mean to discredit people, but baseball players are known for not being the sharpest tool in the shed. Not even that, dude. Like I was, I was roommating up till I met Libby. Right, I had roommates. I had to find like at 30, 35. Right, like, it's not easy. No, it's not. And you have to. I have to work during the day, and then I have to work to go look for places. Go, you know, go meet the guy. And or whatever. And you got two days to figure out where you're gonna stay. Right. Because the hotel the team's only paying for the hotel for two days. Right. And this is in the city where I was born and raised. So I'm I'm kind of versed in the city and how it works, but still and then go out and play at an elite level uh without a care in the world. Right. 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 So that I mean it encompasses everything. Not only moving not only the housing itself, but like moving from level to level, back and forth. Like the the, the shuttle guys that come from triple A up to the major leagues, like what happens with there? Well, they're staying for a little bit longer now. What's going on there? So he has to, you know, how's he going to fix that lease back in, in AAA? Yeah, it's it, it's a it's a multifaceted issue. Okay, so the total cost for a team to house all minor league players at home for one season, according to two executives whose teams have explored doing so before the league pursued its mandate, is less than a million dollars. Think about that. Less than a million dollars. So the minor, major, the major league, league minimum. minimum is like 600000 Five oh seven, yeah, it's five forty okay. or something like that. So it's... the the major league minimum for two guys, and you can spread that out and pay for a hundred and what a hundred and sixty, a hundred and eighty minor league players. Yeah. So not even what your middle middle uh, relievers getting paid. It, it begs the question: What took you so effing long? It, it right. really does beg the question. Like you had to be shamed. You had to have major league players wearing our teal-colored, you know, the teal-colored fair ball bracelets yes. and being posted on Twitter from everyone, that, you know, to see, like, these guys care. Yeah, mm-hmm. David Price went back. Um, our friend Meredith Willis tweeted, and he's like, absolutely, you know, and David Price, she quoted David Price, or she, uh, she tagged David Price in the tweet, and he said, absolutely, their voice needs to be heard. Yeah, he responded to her on Twitter. That yeah. was awesome. You know, absolutely. And Chris Taylor was wearing one in the right. game. You can love the man, hate the player. Sure. I love the gesture. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I told that to Larry, like, you know, Dodger Love, and I'm like, no, I, I like the man because that's cool. Don't like the player because he's good and he plays against the Dodgers. He's good. He plays I, for them. Chris Taylor was one of those guys that I used to see and be like, if he played for my team, I'd really like him. Yeah. Now I've seen him so much, it's like, I just, I can't. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> so the physical toll is clear. The mental issues only compound the problems. When players are promoted, organizations typically will provide them a hotel room for a few days, then expect them to arrange housing themselves. Between procuring new accommodations and figuring out how to extract themselves from the old ones, players say housing is the most acute problem for minor leaguers. Quote, 
Most minor leaguers make less than $15,000 per year and won't receive their next paycheck until April, Marino said. For the next six months, they will spend hours each day training, as required by contract, while trying to balance second and third jobs to make ends meet. Like housing six players in a two-bedroom apartment, this is a broken model from a bygone era. Minor leaguers will not rest until they receive the livable annual salary they deserve. Yeah. So taking care of the accommodations is a huge step in the right direction. It is. It is. There's still a ways to go. So the 500 bucks goes back into their pockets, but that's still, that's not... It helps. It, it helps a lot. It does. It helps a lot, but like I'm just trying to say, there's more work to be done. There is. And, and there's, we're not, you know, and I don't think, you know, minor league advocates, they're not advocates for minor leaguers, more about baseball. They're not asking for astronomical salaries. No. Just pay them a livable wage. Right. On top of the off-season stuff. Right. You know, not even on top of that. Have, have that encompassed in the package. Like, in the off-season, you're expected to be in tip-top shape. Sure. I mean, you don't really, you don't have to be, but you show up to spring training, you know, 15, 20 pounds overweight and haven't swung a bat in three months, or you've only swung a bat for the past three or four weeks. Nuh-uh. Ain't going to fly. No. And to do that at an elite level costs money. Right. Costs a lot of money. Costs a lot of money. Yeah, because food's not free. And training programs aren't free. I mean, right. even just a basic gym membership would right. be nice. Yeah. But a lot of these guys are they're they're going to these uh, these programs, these systems like Driveline and things like that. There's they're cropping up all over the place. Yeah. To to try to optimize what they do. You go here. You got uh, Frozen Ropes. Frozen Ropes is the place up for Rancho Bernardo. Right. A lot of major leaguers, a lot of offseason major leaguers, minor leaguers go up there, and you see them working way far from us guys hitting in the cage. They're over there throwing off the mound. They're over there hitting in their own cage. It's like it, and that costs money. It's not cheap. Mm-hmm. And there's only so many guys in every city that can that can make money giving lessons. True. You know what I mean? There's like, there's only so many of those guys because there's already guys in that community doing it that didn't make the big leagues. Right. You right. know. So so there has to be that. That's the next step. What it, do they say? Those who can do, those who can't teach, teach, those who can't teach, teach physical education, and those that can do it poorly for fun, <laughs> talk about it. Play re- and they play <laughs> racquetball. Right. So that's a big step in the right direction. It, it is. There's still a ways to go, yeah. and I'm I'm really curious to see how the plan works out. I know that for the Padres, they have those quads in uh, in Fort Wayne. Yeah. Um, that they that they rent out to the guys for a very affordable fee. I think what I heard was like 250 bucks a month, something okay. like that. So if there's something like that, the teams can arrange with something near the ballpark. Maybe it's a hotel. Right. Maybe it's an apartment complex, something like that. That would be that'd be great. Absolutely. Well, then the uh, you know like the owner of the South Bend Cubs. Yeah, he owns the building that the guys everyone pays rent. <laughs> well, now he's going to be making now, now now his bosses are going to pay the rent. Right. You know now Major League Baseball is going to pay that rent. Right, and so they'll negotiate a price, I'm sure. But that's a lot better than coming out of the players' pockets. It does. So it, it started with the clubbies. So now they don't have to tip the clubbies. Yep. I, I guess they're still tipping the clubbies. And those guys are still busting their ass, but they're making a little bit more money. They are. They are. <sighs> All right. That's, you know, but the work's not done, but let's move on. So M- MLB Pipeline uh, had a uh, the, the prospects of the year for every organization. Yeah. And for the Padres, it was Bobby Barrels. Of course. Outfielder number three, MLB number 43. Uh, outfielder number three in the Padres system, MLB number 43. In a system known for its high-ceiling talents entertaining to the, entering 2021, Hassel posted a 302, 393, 470 line with 11 homers and 34 stolen bases in 110 games between low A and high A. His 139 WRC Plus ranked second best at low A West prior to his promotion. Congratulations, Bobby Barrels. Nice. Bobby Barrels is on his way. And then Ethan Elliott, left-handed pitcher, 
number 12 in the Padres system. Uh, 2019 10th rounder rode a promising changeup and an above average control to break out season. Among Padres minor leaguers with at least 70 innings pitched in 2021, he led the way with a 3.06 ERA, 3.06 ERA and a 1.1 whip between high A and double A. And then he got hurt toward the end of the he season. Did. He did. So he'll be somebody to watch in the offseason, see uh, how he's looking in spring training. Yeah. Because I didn't, I never heard what the nature of the injury was. It, it's not nope. Tommy John. It's not something disastrous like that. Right, right. Just probably fatigue. Right. It's a long season. <clears throat> and they definitely rode him hard. Yeah. And he, he was going out there pitching long innings. <laughs> Phrasing. Phrasing. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Arizona Fall League. So Andy Contreras is the manager of the Javelinas. Quite an honor is, for him. That is so freaking rad. Yeah. I'm so stoked to hear about I, I I really hope we can get together with him and Mike Nutter, or at least have Mike Nutter have him contact us in the offseason. Maybe we can have him on the podcast. Yeah, that'd be great. That would be fantastic. So these are the guys that are going to be in the Arizona Fall ro- uh, roster. I know we're already a week into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, tonight, um, it is now, what, Wednesday? Mackenzie Gore is making his second start. Yeah, You know, we we're all, I counted the days from Wednesday. I'm like, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Okay, he didn't start Sunday. Maybe it's Monday. Oh, shit, it's not Monday. It's not Tuesday. They don't have a game on Sunday, so... Tonight's and the night. Jeff Sanders confirmed that. Yes. That tonight he is pitching. And it's gorgeous. And I wish they could broadcast the game somehow. Yeah. <sighs> Give us a live stream. Yeah. Give us a live stream. I don't even need broadcasters. Right. I don't even need a score bug. Just give me a right. video, a camera showing what's so going on. So as soon as we're done with this, I'm going to turn on the computer and watch the game day while I watch the playoff game. Okay. That playoff game with the other team. Oh, those guys. Where all the fans left in the seventh <laughs> inning. Um, so, C.J. Abrams. Oh, my God. I love that so much. Oh, my God. It's so they're, they're down, it's, They were down by three. Yeah. They weren't even out of slam range. Yeah. They're down by three yeah. runs. Yeah. And there's people streaming for the games. Yeah. A row of red lights <laughs> heading out of Dodger Stadium. And I never <sighs> saw the shot of everybody, like, turning around trying to get back in. Once they're listening on their radios. Yeah. And, yeah. oh, my gosh, they tied the game. Ah. <laughs> I love it. So C.J. Abrams, Mackenzie Gore, uh, Eggy Rosario, Matt Waldron, Tom Cosgrove, Jesse Schultons, uh, Jose Canzada, and Matt Batten, who's having a great start, but he's kind of cool out for as late, are all there. Now, what, what I've been told is C.J. Abrams is dealing with a slight injury, um, unconfirmed reports, but a slight injury, but he's still on the roster, and I'm sure eventually he'll get some at-bats. I'm not sure how much he was going to play if he was fully healthy anyway. Mm-hmm. I think they just want to maybe ease him into play. Right. But, um, you know, we'll see him. But Mackenzie Gore is making a second start tonight. Eggy Rosario have finally started off pretty cold. I think he went 0 for 8 first two or three games. He's he, a streaky kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, he hit a double and got an RBI yesterday. Matt Batten was hitting ninth playing first base. Had a great three first three games. Has cooled off of late. But, you know, it's a small sample size. Mm-hmm. So Eggy Rosario is hitting 188. Matt uh, Matt Batten had a strong start, it's hitting 250. But you know, you get three hits in a game or two hits in a game, you're up 150 points. So right, right. It's still very, very early. Yep. But it's a level of it's a level of play. It's a level of um, of talent that they're playing against, which is really the true barometer. You know, guys like um, Spencer Torkelson are just you know are going to be top prospects and the impact major league players. Right. Are just tearing it up. Right. And that um, what's the guy from the Cardinals? A boom. Newt, Newt Bar. Newt Bar. Newbar was he's he's had several he had plenty of innings this year. He was playing in the playoffs. Yes. Yeah. So it's weird to see somebody who has actual major league service time playing I, in the fall league. There used to be limitations yeah. about that that they had to be I think double A or lower. Okay. Uh, but now they've lifted those limitations. It's whoever you know whoever they decide they want to send. Right. 
So uh, Chandler Siegel, who was a two for six with a double and throw out. He's doing all the Chandler Siegel stuff the behind the plate. Siegel and the snipe. Tom Cosmo's at an inning and two-thirds. Uh, Jesse Shultons has uh, three and two-thirds innings. Is two hits and one run. Matt Waldron, um, I think he had one inning. Uh, Jesse, uh, Jose Cazada has had two innings, uh, three hits, three earned runs. So um, what I wish I could know about about the fall league is everybody goes and they have like assignments. Like yeah. the team has specific instructions on this player is going to play these positions. Right. They're going to have this much workload. You know, this pitcher is on certain pitch count. He can only pitch every cup every two days, every three days, whatever. So there's all these interesting rules. So if we do have a chance to talk to to AC, I'd be curious to hear just how that all pans out. And do they have like this big whiteboard where they have to right. lay everything out on who can do what tonight? Right. Because you see, well, you saw that Mackenzie Gore has probably a, a 90, 90 pitch count. So okay. he hit for five innings. But every pitcher after that has only gone three. Like the starting pitcher goes three innings, and that's it. Boom. Huh. So they try to get as many, I think they try to get as many guys in as possible. Right. And it also, I think it has a lot to do with innings limits. True. Like, I don't know what the inning limits on any other guys in our organization, but I know McKenzie has not had a lot of innings this year. So not only are they trying to build him up for this year, but they're also kind of stretching him out to stay in the starter range of amount of pitches. True. I, w- True. I would think. All right. Woohoo. I had something else on my mind. It just ah. escaped me. <laughs> something <laughs> hey, about falling. I don't even have a glass oh, of water. No, here. I was going to give credit to um, to Mark Wal- uh, Mark um, Wilkins, Mark Wilkins with Mad Friars because yep. he is in Peoria right now. He's in Phoenix, so f- if you don't follow him already, follow him. Yep. Follow the Mad Friars account because when he's at a game, he's live tweeting what's going on. Yeah. So the ni- the game the other night, it sounds like Eggy Rosario and Matt Batten were all over the place. Chandler Siegel was doing stuff, throwing guys out, disrupting things with his arm and his defense. And so it's it's exciting to me to see that stuff and like you know read through it as it as it's going. Since we can't watch the game, at least nope. you can follow that way with Mark right, Wilkins. Right, that Sam Dykstra is also. I think he's there. There's a couple other people that are there that'll, you know, they're up in the press box. So it's a pretty far. It's the whole field. So you see a little guy go, oh, and there he goes running, and you know it's so small that you can't even see where the ball went. You just see the fielders running. That's like a video game. <laughs> Like, hey, there's a home run, I think, because he stopped running when he ran to first base. Like the old uh, Atari game, there's a little one yeah. pixel moving across. So the other thing about the Fall League, they've got all these weird rules in effect now. Yeah. So there's no shifts. You have to have all the infielders on the dirt. You have to have two guys on each side of the infield. Um, the bases are bigger. The bases are bigger. The softball bases. Well, I mean, it's not the red softball base <laughs> over in foul territory, but it's the base that they were using in AAA, yep. which doesn't seem much of a disruption. Yeah. Uh, but they've got the automated strike zone, which has already been a little bit weird. It's tight. It's, but I think they're only doing the automated strike zone at Salt, Salt Lake, yeah, Salt, Salt, River. Salt River Fields. Yeah. Um, and then they've got the time limits between pitches. Yeah. And so there was an interesting thing with, I can't remember who the pitcher I, was. I don't know who the pitcher was. But, Spencer Torkelson. Yeah. And he struck out on an automatic strike yeah. three because he took too long to get back in the box. Got to get in the box. And so there was audio, an audio feed. Somebody had their camera going and you can oh, hear God. the pitcher go, he can hit. Yeah, right now. Like, <laughs> like, he can, like the pitcher on, wants to right. get him back in the box. I want to face him. <laughs> That's fucking rad. I, I love that. Well, we... We need. To, I want to say it was Dylan Krause. I don't know if that's the right name. And that's a top prospect too. I think Dylan Krause is a top prospect. Yeah, it was. It was a really good. It was a really good matchup. It's, it's really like good, when, when he was up against red Matt. audio. It's like no, or like when you get hit like in a league in a game like that, you get hit with a pitch. Like no, I still want to hit. Like I want to hit. 
Yeah. Maybe an instructs that can happen, but not in a fall league game. Um, actually, I, th- I see. I remember Albert Bell getting hit by a pitch and insisting that he wanted to stay right. in the box right. and hit because he was that angry and he was that confident and that cocky of an mf'er yeah. to do that. And I think he has the discretion to stay in the box and hit. I don't think you know. No. You- Maybe not. Right. There's where legend starts. I and the podcast and goes, yeah, he, he had discretion. We have to look up the box score. Um, but, the, you know, that's going to be interesting to see. You know, it's going to take a little bit for those guys to get used to it. Right. And and if, you know, these are just trial things that they're trying to do. The base, Everything's a trial thing. You know, they're, they're taking that step further with the uh, with the automated strike zone. Mm-hmm. I've heard that it's a little bit tighter of a zone, mm-hmm. which is kind of nice. Um Right, but then so the it's not so loose. So I saw, I think that was in the Kyle Glazer thing as well. Okay. There was an inning that, like, there was a game where, like, 22 guys got on base. Or, no, there were 22 walks in this game because of the tight strike zone. And they weren't now, he said that in this game, you could have drawn a line from the rubber to the plate and the guy still couldn't throw a strike. The, all okay. of the pitchers were having a hard time right. throwing a strike on this particular day. But not being able to get the pitch that's just off the black, yeah. that traditionally they get that pitch every day and they, they can't. And so they, you've got to put it over the plate and it, it really makes it a little too tight. And I've heard that comment, I think even as they were doing the automated strike zone in, I think it was the low A East this year, Okay, um, that they adjusted the strike zone at some point in the season. They made it a little bit shorter top to bottom and a little bit wider East West. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. So I... So that's that's on its way. It's not coming up next year. The, the CBA is going to be done this year. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that'll they'll have some language with that going into the next, you know, the next agreement. Um, the the timing, the the 15 minute pitch clock, that's pretty quick. I mean, if you ever watch a game like like major MLB Network used to have those games back in the 50s and 60s, you know, you watch them and it's like pitch, pitch, and like. Guys don't get out of the box, adjust themselves, scratch themselves, and, and you know the pitcher doesn't walk around the mound. He's on the mound. He throws the pitch. Ball gets back. Throws the pitch again. That's when baseball was two and a half hour, you know, two hour game. Where's Randy Jones right now? Right. Or they could, they could, uh, Jake P. Jake PB in in uh, in Roger Clemens game where it was like a two hour two hour game, yep. nine innings. Yeah, I saw a game in Seattle with Felix Hernandez, and I think it was Kyle Loesch. It was two hours and five minutes. Yeah. It was like a two-to-one game, and it's just it just flew by. That's how baseball used to be. Yeah. I, I saw an article. It was a newspaper article from, like, 1912, and the game took two and a half hours, and the writer was talking about how what a long, drawn-out right. game, how boring. And now we've got four-hour games like nothing. Yeah, and now it's because money's involved, and yep. careers are involved, and I need time to prepare, and... And yet they're still putting Laz Diaz and, and Doug Eddings behind the plate in home in, uh, in postseason the, games. In the postseason. Oh, God. Oh. Does Major League Baseball just hate themselves? So, did you see Jeff Passan point out that that pitch... So Nathan Eovaldi threw a pitch to, I think it was Jason Castro, that would have been strike three, that would have ended the game. Right. No, no, no. It was tied at the would've time. The it would have ended the inning tied. And instead, he got on base, and they went on to score, I think it was seven runs yep. in that inning. Yep. That one call. Butterfly effect. Makes so much of a difference. So when, so what's going to happen now, and we'll, go, we'll get back to the regular programming here in a minute. What's going to happen when that automatic strike zone, who are we going to complain to about now? Oh, the strike zone's too small. Oh, it's too big. Oh, that's a strike. That was a strike last year. We'll like, complain to our computer overlords. As Right. As fans, what are we going to bitch about now? We'll what are the have, players going to bitch we'll about? We'll always like, find something to bitch about. Come on. God, you know, we'll have to, we'll have to figure it out. 
I open up Padres Twitter, or even worse, open up Padres Facebook, and you'll find plenty of. Oh my God, it's bad. Okay, let's move on. So, um, so uh, Jonathan Mayo, uh, Jim Callis, and Sam Dyche were a little piece on sleeper prospects in the AZ Fall League. Uh, Matt Waldron uh, was picked as the Padres sleeper. The greatest knuckleball experiment continues. San Diego allowed the Waldron to start. San Diego allowed Waldron to start throwing a knuckler this season to some solid effect. It's not a typical slow pitch in that it can sit around 80 miles per hour mark, and Waldron was still occasionally mixing in a low 90s fastball that can look a lot faster for a batter looking for the knuckler. He reached double A this season and posted a 6.61 ERA there, so this will be another chance to show the new pitch really can work at the upper levels. So that comment about that it's a knuckleball that's in the low 80s, traditionally a knuckleball is like 65 miles an hour. Yeah. They kind of float it up there. Uh, it's 70, I think. Uh, I think Wakefield threw his at 70. Okay. And that was, that was, that's fast. Right. So like when R.A. Dickey, he was throwing his fast. It was it was a harder knuckle knuckleball that was in the 80 mile an hour neighborhood. So I think that what that does is allows the pitch to get a little bit deeper toward the plate before it does its little butterfly thing. Right, right. Float like a butterfly. Sting like a bee. Float like a strike zone in uh, the butterfly effect, right? <laughs> and good luck to the catcher trying to catch that thing. Okay, so let's move on to the actual game. So, you know, McKenzie Gore started the game. He started he, opening day. He was opening day starter. Opening day starter. I like that. Opening day starter for... So we're going to talk about this when the season starts. And as we get through the rest of this podcast and we go into next season, if he ever makes the major leagues... Um, well, Not his, if, when. Come on when, now. Sorry, you're right. We're believers. I'm sorry. I just, you yeah. know, just, you'll understand here in a minute when we talk about the article. But when he does, eventually, we'll say his season really started. You know, he was the opening day starter for the Arizona Fall League. Okay. And it's pitched all the way through here till now. Okay. So his pitching line, uh, you know, this is where uh, you don't scout the stat line. Right. Like you don't, because he had five innings pitched, two earned runs, six hits. He had one base on balls and three Ks. One hit by a pitch. Mm-hmm. And 88 pitches. So that's that's pretty good. And I think those two earned runs both came off of a double to Spencer Torkelson. Right. Who's one of the best hitters right. in all of the minors. He will be an impact player for the Detroit Tigers. Absolutely. Very, very soon. Yeah. But the other two at-bats got him to got him roll over one, and I think he struck him out. Okay. But finally, the third time around, he finally got a hold of one. He hit a changeup down the line. He was on the front foot. Hit it pretty good. But yeah. And that was one play. All right. So you can almost say, and we're going to talk about this in a second again, you know, it, it, Mac is coming back. Mac is coming back. Mac is coming back. Okay. Who is Mackenzie Gore? We're starting to find out again. All right. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a He's minute. He's rediscovering himself. Yes. He went on a walkabout in the desert to, it, uh, to go find his spirit animal. Him in the ghost of... Tom Jode. The ghost of Tom Jones. I don't know. I was trying to think of some pitcher. You know, the, the ghost of Christy Mathewson or something? Really? <laughs> Hard-throwing lefty, absolutely. Um, he had that talk. He had that walkabout. And he seems to be coming back. Yeah. You know, with the start that he had in AA, um, no starts in AAA, went back to the complex and, and stayed there until the fall league started and kind of continued that progression. That progression that went so far back, just, and we're going to get into it here in a minute, just where, where'd he go? Where did he go? And we're gonna about, we're gonna find out here in just a minute. Uh huh. So moving on, JJ Cooper from Baseball America tweeted encouraging news for with Padres Mackenzie Gore. He sat ninety five ninety five point five and touched ninety eight in his first Arizona Fall League outing. More importantly, he threw strikes sixty nine percent. Very nice. nice. <laughs> 
Uh, but he also tweeted some StatCast data from Ball's hitoff from less encouraging news for Gore. He did give up a significant amount of hard contact. 109 ground out, 109 single, 106 single, 102 triple. So balls, you know, a couple of those balls are getting hit hard. Now, let's talk about that for a minute with 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 where we think he should be. Where do you think he should be at the end of this? Like, should we start going like, well, damn, they're hitting the ball hard off him? Well, we don't know. We don't know what everybody's working on. Right. So he, uh, it's clear that he's been working on mechanics and timing. Right. Uh, as as you're going to talk about in the article uh, from AC that he's talking yep. about his mechanics and getting things in sync. Um, but is he is he working on location? Is he working on a particular pitch? You because sometimes somebody like their instruction is go out there and you don't throw your curveball enough. So now we want you to use it ten right. times this inning. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know if anything like that's going on. So, and but then the other side, Brett Batty is a really good prospect, yeah. and that guy's got a serious bat. I don't know anything about Carlos Cortez, but you know, yeah, all all these guys in the minors can smoke a ball. Yeah. So who knows? You know, there's too much variability for me to read into one batted ball event and say, oh well, Brett Batty hit hit one 109 miles an hour, so that must mean he's a noodle arm. Right. No, it doesn't mean DFA him. Yeah. I mean, part of that, I mean, you got velocity in, you get velocity out too. Yeah. A soft tosser isn't going to give up those those high exit right. velocity numbers because right. you need the energy to be able to turn it back around. Right. And you want that velocity. So the velocity is there. The secondaries are there. And we're going to talk a little bit about that here in a minute with Keith Law's article. Um, that's all that really matters. And boy, is my computer going to die? How about that? We're going to have to get right through this. So moving on, Keith Law had a little write-up about Mackenzie Gore in his first start. Now, I thought this article was like, oh, come on, dude. I think it was a little bit like, well, just listen. Gore stuff was just about as good as ever on Wednesday as he was 93 to 98 for his entire outing, hitting a lot of spots around the edges of the zone with the fastball. His slider and changeup were both plus, while the curveball was more of a grade 55 above average pitch than the plus or plus plus weapon I've seen from him before. His arm action is much shorter now, although the high leg kick is still there and his overall tempo was faster. Within the delivery and between pitches, his overall tempo was faster. Within the delivery and in between pitches, he looks like someone who can't wait to throw the next pitch. Also, you have to throw it every 15 seconds or you get in trouble. That's true. Which is good to see from someone who had a hard time throwing strikes. Well, and I think part of that also is that he had a hard time controlling the running game early on. Like okay. in Fort Wayne, they ran wild on him. In Lake Elsinore, we saw that when people would get on base, they would be able to move around, but he's so focused on getting the batter out that he yeah. kind of doesn't care. It's like the Greg Maddox thing. Yeah. But still, you need to be quick to the plate so they're not running crazy. Yeah, because they will steal. You steal on a pitcher. So I think that's catcher. part of what they've done trying to to wrap, to make him more rapid yeah. to the plate. Absolutely. Gore threw 88 pitches, 56 for strikes, with the automated strike zone in play at Salt River Fields, which tends to result in a smaller strike zone than we normally see from human umps. He did give up a two-run double to Spencer Turkelson, who identified a changeup and a good changeup count after getting Turkelson with a 98-mile-an-hour fastball in his previous at-bat. So Gore's final line wasn't as good as you might guess from how good he looked. We'll see if he repeats this uh, in his next timeout from, from Peoria. That's tonight. But it certainly looked like he's back. Well, this is a pleasant surprise. After Abrams went down with serious knee and leg injuries in early July, it looked as if his season was completely over because of that comeback. He may be the most closely watched player in the AFL to see how his many tools, especially his 80-grade speed, have held up following the missed time. Fans and scouts alike who also will also champ at, chomp at the bit to catch Gore and his slightly reworked delivery aiming at helping him regain the command and control that made him one of baseball's best prospects before some serious struggles at AAA. 
Rosario brings above average speed, a strong arm, and some defensive versatility to the Peoria infield. And Waldron could be a fun follow as the knuckleballer is still getting used to the pitch. <laughs> so this is Keith Law, Mr. Doom and Gloom. Yeah. Heaping praise yeah. on, on Mackenzie Gore, saying yeah. he looks – I saw him say somewhere that he – if you didn't know – that he'd just been through all what, been through? the last year or two, you you would be looking at the best pitching prospect in baseball. Okay. He looks like that guy again. And this is from the guy that was that was blowing the Padres up for picking James Wood right. early. Who was blown up. He's Mr. Mr. Debbie Downer. Okay. And so he's sitting there saying great things about Mackenzie Gore. Okay. So now let's read the article from Kevin Hastings because I really I, I'm really impressed with this article. I did I cut through it. I got all the quotes from McKenzie. I took out a lot of the Kevin AC kind of fill-in kind of stuff. That was really good. But if you guys get a chance, I'm sure you've already read it before. Other than Roy, Roy hasn't read it, and he's been having a day job again. I ran out of clicks on the Union uh, Tribune. For I'll my give mom. you my login, dude. I I, <laughs> I pay for it. Um, so this um, Kevin. Kevin Nancy went out to Peoria and talked to, to McKenzie for about, an, about a half an hour. So McKenzie Gore won't stay, won't say this is where he wants to be, just that it is where he is, and that must mean it is where he's supposed to be. The last part should be considered highlighted and underlined. In the era of now, Gore is more concerned with how. He has accepted an effective exile, is working his way back, and believes his best is still yet very much good enough. But there isn't much he is sure about except that he is where he is. I'm getting better, he said. Not great, but better. There are some good stuff. There was some good stuff on Wednesday. There's comfort, but I don't feel like I'm necessarily as dialed in compared to what it can be. But I feel good on the mound, which is huge. Right. I, I, I love the, like, this is where I am. You know, this is this is almost a come to Jesus. This is, this is your top prospect going like, all right, coming back from a disastrous, disastrous, like his career just went off the rails from top, pitching prospect to like this is occasionally this is what happens to guys they just lose it right and it's not because of injury and as far as we know it's not because of personal whatever you know it's just because he he lost whatever whatever he had going on whatever the feel whatever the mechanics the timing who knows what it was absolutely so this is what the past four months has been about but if Gore's learned anything the past 16 months or so it's because Besides a bunch of stuff about his body's movement on the mound, it is that the course of life can veer off the route that has been plotted and around the corner could be a cliff. You never know, he said this week. It's crazy. You would have never guessed this what happened. I would never have guessed, but here we are. I'm not going to say to just, I'm not, I'm not going to just say, I'll be better for this. But yeah, I've learned a lot. I'm pitching a lot better now than I have a long and I have a long time than I have in a long time. I can tell you after going through it and who knows what's going to happen, but I've definitely learned a lot the past two years and I think it can maybe help me. Once again, I, I love that he's not like I'm gonna be better. Like the hyperbole you get from these guys, like this is really the heart this is him being, I think, vulnerable. He's yeah, there's and, a lot of humility in this. And and you know, when we talked to him in spring training, you know, back in like beginning of two thousand eighteen Boy, like he was right, but and he was, he was measured, but he was confident, and he was a man that was on his way. He wasn't like I'm the best man. I can control what I can control and dominate the day. Mm-hmm. This is like I can control this. But he was so confident. He was right. on a mission. Right. And at that time, his trajectory was straight up. Right. And if it would have kept course, you know, he'd probably be pitching deep in the playoffs right now. Right. But it didn't. So Gore made a point to not speak in absolutes or suggest anything is definite. This. 
This can, he repeated, is just a better way to look at it. This could make me better, or this could be bad. But we've gotten through it. We could have never gotten better after whatever that June start was in El Paso. But we did. We're not done yet. We still have a long way to go, but we're a lot better. So this does not portend a lack of confidence. This is the perspective gained from having discovered earlier than most that even a really good life lived by a guy with a really good arm can slap you upside the head. The perspective of a left-hander who's been described as possessing a Clayton Kershaw ceiling having hit the floor, what might have been the floor, in June 18th start for AAA El Paso, in which throwing a strike was essentially a coin flip. <laughs> he threw just 21 of them in 40 pitches, walked two, allowed three home runs, and recorded four outs. Quote, I don't want to say rock bottom because who knows what rock bottom is, course said of that game, but I was not even close to pitching the way I should have been pitching. It was at that point that he agreed some time away from the minor leagues was in order. I was like, look, I think we've got to get somewhere. It's quiet. We've got to figure this out, Gore recalled. A lot of people were probably thinking that earlier, but me being competitive, I just got to a point where he, we have to fix this. It's not making us better pitching like this. I wasn't getting better. Now, I, I listened to Kevin Nacy on Darren Smith's show, and he reiterated this, this part of the conversation where it was his idea. That's interesting. Like He said, like, I need to get the fuck out of here. Like, I need, this isn't working. That's and, really curious. And I love that about the kid. Like, you know, it sounds like, I and mean, we don't know this for sure, but like, they're just like, okay, pitch through it. And that's what usually happens. It's like, okay, he had a shitty AAA season. Or the best prospect in the world had a shit, is just going to have to work through it. Yeah. And so then he decides to, to pull the ripcord. Right. And say, I need to find a place that's quiet, get away from the eyes where I can just work on my mechanics, my timing, and get back on track. So that's, that's normally something where you've got somebody from player development. Right. Calling Sam you in. comes in and goes, all right, you're done. Yeah, and you, I, I would imagine that, that when a player hears that, that it's they go with their tail between their legs. Right. and it's. But it sounds like, I mean, if it was his idea, that's remarkable. It is very remarkable because, like I said, most of the time those guys just have shitty seasons. Right. doesn't matter if you're top of the food chain or if you're the bottom of the food chain. It just happens. You'll fix it out. You'll fix it later. But to have that, you know, to have that self-awareness to, like, we need to fix this. I need to go somewhere else and get it done. Um, shows a lot of maturity and... Like, uh, personally, I think he's, you know, we're going to get a, a high level of, of performance from him eventually. Eventually, eventually. Yeah. Not even, Not even when he makes it to the big leagues. I don't expect him to go, you know, seven innings, 95 pitches, 15 Ks, and, you know, one earned run or whatever. I, I just, and it might even take that much time once he gets into the major leagues. We've seen it time and time again. I mean, everyone from Clayton Kershaw to, you know, to... Pedro Martinez struggled when they come up to the big leagues. Well, I mean, even look at Adrian Martinez when he came up to Triple A. Yeah, or was it no Double A? What, what did he no, step up to? No, he was he was the Double A pitcher of the month. Went to Triple A, right. and got lit the first the next three outings. Right, and then he finally got his legs under him right. and started looking good. And so when somebody comes up to the majors, it's rare that they just shove right out of the bat. Right, that there's usually that adjustment period. Um, but to have the the self awareness and the the humility and the 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 perspective to be able to say that that I need I need to find a different setting so I can get right, it kind of reminds me of being in a, a relationship. We were saying this before, right, 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 where it's like mentally you've got problems, your partner has problems, and the two of you aren't making things better. Then you really do have to find some space and some some solitude to to work through your stuff. Some neutral ground there, and right. let me say this: so two sickies don't make a welly. What does that say about the organization? Is that a good right. reason why? Is that a is that one of probably the many reasons why they moved on from Sangini? Like, why didn't you identify? Why did he have to come 
to the organization. If that's the case, and, you know, then we're just, we're just kind of, if you listen to the Darren Smith, the kind of said, that's what he said. Uh-huh. It was his idea. Um, why did it take him to have to say like, all right, we had to pull the cord. Right. When they have been so, you know, he gets a blister so he doesn't start for a month and a half. Well, that's understandable. Right. But even that's a long time to be missing for a blister. Right. You know, uh, to have kids glove with his kid, um, and then to kind of watch him struggle time and time again. And they were every, every outing was like coin flip really was a coin flip. Yeah. So that has to change in the organization. Like mm-hmm. you have to stop, you know, we see it all the time in the season. Mason Fox moved to the developmentalist. Mm-hmm. We now know that he was sent back somewhere to work on something. Right. Um. So that's a good, that's a good, that's a, but in, a in between starts, somebody needs to be going through the analysis, looking at the video, looking at the data, trying to see what's not working right. here. Because we saw that with McKenzie in double a, that the command just wasn't, there that that yeah he could throw strikes but he wasn't locating where he needed to be locating and that's what carried him up to that point so what changed what needs to be fixed right a lot of teams it seems like they have an ability to turn guys around pretty quick when they start to get a little bit sideways like that the other thing you you mentioned sam guinea but edwin rodriguez was also dispatched unexpectedly late in the season and i'm wondering if that was kind of a similar decision thing. Like, okay, Gore was struggling and I don't know who he talked to, but if he, if it was his idea to go back, why isn't somebody talking to him about, about that decision? Right. Right. Well, you know, you don't know until it happens. Like you don't know, you know, I hate to say it like this, but like, you know, COVID, we didn't know you could shut down the city. I mean, they did it for the, the bomber guy in Boston, but you know, you don't know you have to do these drastic things. Until you do them, until you have to, like, this is what has to happen. Mm-hmm. In order for us to get through this, this has to happen. In order for, like, they should have saw a little more writing on the wall. Like, yes, absolutely. They should have said, like, all right. The, the lemon meringue? Yeah. I'm, I'm not familiar with that phrase. Did that I say, must be, it must be a, a chef thing. Did I say lemon meringue? That's what I thought I heard. That's, no. that's what I heard. Oh, this thing, I said. <laughs> I mumble. You know, but so, so that has a, that, that throws a lot of questions in the air. It does. You it know. definitely does. Um, so, quote, this is this was a uh, there was a time I didn't know where the ball was going, Gore said. What happened remains a mystery of sorts. The only way to describe it is I got out of sync, Gore said. It wasn't one thing. Also, in the article uh, in the in the discussion with um Darren Smith, you know, it could have been a case of tinkering too much. Like like I we say this so much even with myself. If you give me too much information, I get I shut down. Like I only I only get so much. I have to shut down because it's just overloaded. Right. And when you're struggling and you're competitive and there's expectations and you're, once again, you're a human being and you want to get better, but you're getting pulled different ways and it's this, it's that. Maybe it's not this. Maybe it's that. It can just like, all right, time out. Call that paralysis by analysis. Paralysis by analysis. Yeah, time out. I need to get out McKenzie Gore is a very, very bright guy. Yeah. And he understands his mechanics. <clears throat> he understands you know, the nuances of pitching. Yeah. So I could see him getting into a head place where he's thinking so many different things, and yeah. then he gets on the mound, and you got to be able to put all that stuff aside and just play baseball. Yeah. And if you can't put all that stuff aside, then I, I don't know what you do. Yeah. And that delivery has to be, I mean, you know, that's once you get your mechanics down, it's almost second nature. So once you get out of sync of those mechanics, it becomes second nature. And the, but the second nature is wrong. Right. You know, so you have to go somewhere quiet and figure it out. So he never stopped throwing. And he, he talks about, you know, Izzy talks about this. And we know he didn't, he just threw bullpens. And he threw the guys that were rehabbing. He threw against Tatis when Tatis came to Arizona to get, you know, before he came back from the shoulder injury. It's a whole other 
podcast. Um, so he never stopped pitching. He just stopped pitching competitively where they can really analyze and find out what's wrong and kind of give him a reset. So let's hope that does the trick. Uh, his highly involved windup, uh, tight to chest, uh, thigh to chest, glove above head, long stride towards the plate, had for as long as he could remember, pitching served him to keep him rhythm. Uh, pitching served to keep him in rhythm. And then it got off kilter. I never did anything different. I never tried to change it, he said. I just kept doing the same thing. <clears throat> a watch those loose uh a watch that loses a half a second a day after a few months might not be accurate. The timing just got way off, Gore said. He can't he can't pinpoint when it started, but things weren't right after the alternate site last season or in spring training. He believes he was able to continue as long as he did and turn in the occasional strong outing by force of will. But eventually he was on the mound with nothing with my hands tied behind my back. That was a direct Holy quote. Shit. With nothing with my oh, hands tied behind my oh, back. What a helpless feeling to be out there like that. Uh, you know, in baseball, is such a tr- it's not only is it confidence, but it's repetition. And it's, and it's, it's, you have to be, it has to be easy. Mm-hmm. You don't try harder when you're struggling. You try less. I thought that's what Robert Stock said, though. You try harder. That's the Try Harder podcast. It's funny. I talk about the Try Harder podcast. Robert Stock, if you ever listen to this podcast, you have to. You and your brother have to get back on the mic. Yeah, they do. Um, but you know that's. But the competitive, the, the a player, you know, someone that's and this is his job. Like you try harder, right? Force a will. It only gets you so far. Right. So there was a time he considered altering his delivery. Once you get to that point, you look at every possible potential fix, he said. But I'm an, excuse me, but I'm an athletic guy. I think I need a lot of rhythm, and that's the way I've been doing it my whole life. On Wednesday, the whole looping windup was intact. The hands he allowed might move less than before. The delivery has gotten better, he said. We're going to talk about this stuff is better. I'm throwing strikes, whatever, but the delivery is better. I'm moving better on the mound. It's not great, but it's better. The expectation is Gore will pitch the duration of the fall league season and then be in the major league camp coming spring. I've learned a lot, he said. I'll be more prepared. I'm going to do everything I can in the next however many months it is to be the best version of myself. And whatever happens, happens. It's not like, oh, I have to. Me trying to make it the big league team does not work. There is just a lot better way to go about it. I know if I'm the best version of myself, I'll be okay. After what he described as a tough and frustrating time with a lot of long nights, this is where he's at. We had all that timing in our head. We had all that timing in our head, Gore said. We all thought it was going to happen a year ago. I guess the good Lord, his timing hasn't been the last two years. And who knows when it will be. I just have to pitch the way I'm capable. And whatever happens, happens. I guess you just that's you you put it in the hands of yeah. of someone greater yeah. and do whatever you can. You yeah. control what you can control. Yeah. And then... Whatever happens, not dominate the day. Whatever happens, happens until you can dominate the day. Right. So uh, we're used to hearing ball players being cocky and overconfident right. and all this stuff. It's it's refreshing to hear somebody that's a little bit more introspective, that has learned a little bit of humility, um, and is open a little bit to somebody in the media like that. I'm not yeah. used to hearing that from from professional athletes. No, you would hear the. Yeah, I'm working, getting better, and this is probably going to get me back on track. You know, just all those, you know, the cliches that professional players, you know, say. Did right. you get to do an interview? Mm-hmm. So I get to see him in the back, you know, back in the uh, the benches there with the blue benches and just telling it like it is. And that's refreshing coming from that kid. It's refreshing to hear as a Padre fan. It's refreshing to hear as as a Mackenzie Gore fan. Yeah. As a, we've dominated the day since the day one with this kid um, that – 
we might be back on track. I hope so. And we'll, we'll, we won't know until I get off the mic and uh, we say, who are you? <laughs> and then you're watching it on a little, on little stat cast. Pretty much. I'll be watching it on the same computer. there's no video feed. <clears throat> well, we have one final note here before we close out. Which is excellent. Yeah. Paul Swaney on Twitter. Congratulations to the Tin Cap. Still number one in ballpark experience. Stadium Journeys 2021 High A MILB baseball game day experience ranking. Uh, so they ranked all the teams in high A, all the ballparks. And I don't know how many consecutive years, but I think Park, at least two in a row Parkview field just yeah. rakes in the awards yep. for an all around great experience. It's a beautiful ballpark. It's a great city. It's run by a bunch of great people. Yep. So you always have a good time. The food's great. The entertainment's great. Yep. If you have a chance to get out to Fort Wayne, please go to Fort to Parkview Field. It is a gem in the middle of Fort Wayne. You need to find this out for yourself. I will eventually. I have other stuff to do. Well, I, I'm going to keep giving you a hard time until you get yourself so, out there. So will John Nolan. <laughs> I will get out there. I promise. I, but I just we you know um, we've got some family things going on. Like I, like oh, we yeah, both I understand. You know we I have, understand. You know and and so when we uh, when we try to get out, we have to go see our families. Okay. Well, maybe maybe one of these times that you're flying back to New York, you can make a stop. You know, Indianapolis is about an hour away. Yeah, so from New York? Indiana- no, from 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 Fort Wayne. Okay, so have a layover in Indianapolis, drive up to Fort Wayne, <laughs> check out Parkview Field, and then go visit family. I will, and then hopefully I'll be there for a killer game like you were. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, it's funny we didn't even talk about who who uh, you know the Padre manager. That's another who are you? Oh man, there, who are there's you? there's a million of different opinions. Twitter's full of them. It sounds yeah. like Ron Washington, they say he probably won't get an interview, which yeah, is that's, surprising that's to pretty me. much he's not going to get an interview. All right. Well, they interviewed him a couple years ago when they hired Jace Tingler, so they know who he is. They know, you know, what he can bring. And he's so. having a great He's having a great postseason yeah, with is. the windmill. Yeah, because he keeps sending Eddie Rosario. Right. <laughs> I know, like the philosophy that you force the defense to make the play. I yeah. think that's that's kind of what they because yeah. he's aggressive sending those guys. Yeah. And Phil Nevin was too in New York. It just didn't work out so well for him. Right. The, also, the the guy's running too. Like you got to know your play. And I'm sure Nevin had the same mindset. It's not like it was the end of the world. Like it was a he was slow. Yeah. He was slow. And yeah, they he had was to make out that by play. a bunch. But you got to know your runner. You got to know your fielder. You right. need to know the situation. See where the cutoff guy is positioned. All that kind of stuff. So Ron Washington sounds like he's out. Sounds like Mike Schilt. Oh, nobody expected him to be what looking hell? for a job. Cardinals. Yeah, I mean they want it. So what I so Katie Wu has done a great job covering this whole thing. So it sounds like in the middle of the season, there was a lot of unhappiness. There was disconnect between the front office and him, and there were clubhouse issues, whatever. And then something happened. They flipped a switch, and they went and won 17 straight and got into the playoffs. Yeah. And, you know, if you, if you listen to uh, the beat writer for uh, the Cardinals was on Ben and Woods, and uh, I can't remember because I listened to it at like 5 in the morning. Um, it was about analytics. Right. And so I it sounds the, like he's not so analytics forward. Well, well, that's what that sounds like a narrative, but that's what is the case. Like they wanted to use more of the analytics involved, and he wanted to more manage the team. Mm-hmm. Now, do we, you know, do teams want the, are analytics going to win the game? It'll give you some predictors. It'll give you some ideas. It'll give you them. It'll give you some information, some data, right? That a manager also has to know his team and be able to make those decisions without having to look at a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. I understand that the the analytics are incredibly important, are incredibly, are a very useful tool of, of predicting what may happen. True. And 
but there's times you have to go with your gut. There's sometimes you have to know your players. There's some, you know, and I'm sure it's more than just like that. I'm, I'm sure every modern day major league manager has plenty of that information and uses that information to the best of their ability. Right. You know, it's kind of like with the uh, with the Larry Rothschild. The thing with him was like, oh, he's not analytical driven. It wasn't that. It's because they had some guy going directly to the pitchers with that information instead of it funneling through him. Right, right. I like Mike Schilt. Do I think he's a could be the next Padres manager? I don't know. He's worth at least interviewing him. Absolutely. And so he's the one guy that we've gotten confirmation that he will be interviewed. I feel like it's kind of early in the process. I know that they hired Jay Stingler before the end of the playoffs, I think, last two years ago. Uh, but Ron Washington still has a job. Yeah. Uh, Walt Weiss is the bench coach for for Atlanta. He might be another candidate, but you're right. not going to talk to him while Atlanta's still playing. Right. Will Venable. Rel- yeah, Will Venable, bench coach for Boston. Yeah, but you he- got Mark Kotze. You got, you got the Kotze. You got like Phil Nevin. Um you know, the guys that don't have major league experience, but are certainly worth the conversation. For sure. And are all service and industry um, folks are saying are guys that are going to manage someday, but just who's going to give them the first shot. Right, right. And do we need one of those guys? Plenty of major league experience, plenty of coaching experience at mm-hmm. the major league level, but management is a different ball game. It is. So it's Luis a- Rojas just found that out. Exactly. Managed one year for the Mets. They, they hired uh, Beltran. And then they had to let Beltran go because yep. of controversy. Yep. They'll probably bring him right back now that they let Rojas go. I wouldn't be but surprised. He is the son of Felipe Alou, brother of Moise Alou, who is with the Padres organization. Yep. Um, so he's an interesting kind of a dark horse candidate. But you're, So you're talking about Mike Schilt. He's not an analytics kind of first guy. People from outside the Padres sphere, fans of other teams... Look at AJ Preller, and they think that he's the 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 nerd that stares at spreadsheets all day long and never gets his nose out of his right. computer. And they could not be more wrong. He's one of the most scouting driven people in all of baseball. So I could see somebody like Mike Schilt working, you know, at least vibing on that level. As far as right. you know, what right. do you trust your gut? Do you trust the numbers? What does that mean? I can't imagine what these interviews are like, what kind of scenarios they run through or what kind of presentations they they put on. Right. It sounds like a pretty involved thing. When David Ross interviewed with the Cubs, it sounds like it was like a 12-hour long kind of a whole day ordeal. And on the outside, you're like, of course he's going to be the manager. It's David Ross. It's, Grandpa, it's Papa Ross, you know, obviously. But it's not. Those guys got to cross their T's and dot their I's. They have to make sure that that's the case. Yep. You know, it's funny. Buck Walter was on you know, Ben Woods the other day, too. I love that guy. Oh, yeah. I absolutely loved his answers. Um, I loved his approach. I, I, I love you. You treat people the way you want to be treated. Right. You and know? He's, he's familiar with the analytics side of things. Absolutely. So I don't think, you think of these old, the old guard, and you think that they're all just, you know. Old guard guys, All they right? have is their rolled up scorecard, and that's all they use to, to manage <laughs> a game. No, they don't have to use papyrus, right? This is yeah. how we're going to do it. Well, I'm thinking Connie Mack with right. that. <laughs> But he's not, and he's not. He's one of those let the kids play. Right. And, and um, I like him so much, I kind of don't want him to be my manager simply because I don't want him to get fired. Yeah? I really, I mean, his interview was really good. So I saw somebody suggest uh, Fernando Tatis Sr. Ah. But what happens if he falls out, yeah. and then you need, to, you need to fire Fernando Tatis Sr., and you've got Junior under contract for another 10, 12 years. We saw what happened with uh, Estrella Sorientales exactly. when they got rid of Senior, and then Junior said, I'm not playing another game for you ever again. <laughs> Don't want Which, that to happen here in San Diego. Right. So it's going to be interesting. I, I, um, 
I don't know. Who, I personally, I don't know. I, I don't. Nobody knows. I don't care. I mean, I care. I wanted someone that's managed before. That's all I'd say. I just want someone that's managed before. Okay. That can can answer that question. Okay. Has done it before. Right. Has a track record. Um, but the, how many of those guys are out there? I want to. I want to have confidence that the person walking in there is going to command respect from the veterans yep. and the the younger players. Yep. So maybe Jace Tingler could swing it with the the young guys, you know, and hold authority over them. But I can't see somebody like Eric Hosmer looking at age, at Andy Green or Jace Tingler and them t- him telling them to do something different. And he just no, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to do what I do. Right, and that I, that that can't adjust stand. my playing time accordingly. Yeah. Okay. Well, right. and, and his his playing time didn't get adjusted <laughs> until the last two games of the season yeah. when it was clear that Tingler was was Out. dead man walking. Right. Um. We still, by the way, we still haven't heard the final decision on Tingler. So last we heard was that they were going to talk, and that he'd been relieved of the managerial role, but he was they they wanted to keep him in the organization yeah. somehow. Yeah. He's under contract for one more year. Yeah. So I'm I'm still curious to see where he winds up. If he winds up on the player development side somewhere or front office job, or if it's just some, they give him a title for a year just because they're paying him. That's the assistant to the GM is usually that title. <laughs> or, right. you know, it's like, you know, it's, yeah, advisor to the president, advisor to the GM. Uh-huh. The um, assistant to the traveling secretary or whatever right. it was that George Costanza did for the, Mex- the Yankees. Right. So I, I agree. It has to be someone that, you know, that's going to command that respect. And they don't necessarily have to, like, Schilt didn't play ball. Um, yeah, he played minor league ball for a couple of years, right? But then he was in the Cardinals organization for like eighteen years, and was huge in scouting and development. Mm-hmm. Was was huge. Was like that was his whole career, right? So there's that part of it that you said that would certainly vibe with with um you know with with Preller and that kind of thought process. But then, you but know, now he's managed for four years. He's taken the the Cardinals to the playoffs each of those four years. Yeah. Now, part of that's because he's working with a great system. You're the system quarterback, whatever. But you've got a great... The guy knows how to handle a team in the playoff yeah. environment, at yeah. the very least. Yeah. I and mean, you got guys coming over there like Goldschmidt. you got Arenado coming over there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got old guys. Adam Wainwright. Yeah. Um, just having another crazy, incredible Wainwright year at the same age as my dad. Like, he's like... <laughs> in baseball, you know, he's the same age as my dad. Uh-huh. Um, so you have you have the young young guys studs you know your um your Baders your your Harrison Baders um who's that second baseman Edmund is that Edmund oh oh my fuck, god Tommy the, Edmund Tommy Edmund yeah fuck that guy love really? that guy I mean he's a real good ball yeah. player he went to like La Jolla Country Day or something yeah he? he's a local boy yeah um you know you know Tyler what I mean? O'Neill had a great year absolutely but we're not here to talk up the Cardinals Come we on. are not but that just goes to show you he's got the ear of all those guys from right the young kids. To, to the grizzled veteran. Um, yeah, I'll say that they, they did have a good ability to bring guys up and perform right yeah. away. So I don't know if that's an organization thing that's an organization or if that has thing. something to do that's with, with the manager being able to communicate, put guys in the right position to succeed. Right. It does sound like communication has been lacking in the Padres organization, both with the manager, the front office, and everything, that maybe players don't know their role. They're being bounced from starter right. to reliever and back, right. and they're not being explained why they're being assigned a certain way. It's just, right. okay, today you're going out to the bullpen. Um, okay. Th- that doesn't work well with a lot of guys. Right. And I can see that with someone like Tingler, you know, okay, so because you hear it from your boss, the boss is okay, so this is how I want these guys to play. Mm-hmm. And to have that translate from Preller through the manager to the player, that's a hard conversation to have. And then you're, you're just the mouthpiece, bro. I can just see, you know, the players go like, you're just the mouthpiece. 
Right. Why doesn't AJ come down here and tell me that? Right. Why doesn't why didn't you know why didn't he come down here? Yeah, I can definitely see that be a, you know, a problem. So that's pr- a little bit where things kind of went south, I would suspect. Get everybody pulling from the same end of the rope, they say. Right. Instead of pushing rope, if you know what I mean. It doesn't work. That's inappropriate. All right. Well, who are you until next week? Ryan S. C. Donovan. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Zippy underscore TMS. To go Padres? Let's go Javelinas. Javelinas, yes. Go Mackenzie Gore.